0: from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2, Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.
1: Welcome into the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always, and today is a Wednesday, which means we answer the burning questions that Oregon Duck fans have submitted throughout the week to our mailbag, and on today's show, we're going to dive into some 2022 Oregon football recruiting, uh, some off, you know, some Oregon football news, some discussion of how COVID's maybe impacting high school football and how that impacts Oregon's recruiting. Uh, we'll dive into also the player movement with. Uh, Javon Holland attached and some of the demands that they've gotten, kind of what we know so far and what we've heard and what we think will happen. And then uh, we'll we'll wrap up the show with some wide receiver talk. I think that's been a hot topic the last couple of years uh, for Oregon Duck football fans um, and, and kind of where things are going for the 2020 football season. And before we dive into today's show, we want to remind you guys that today is well, today is the day in the month of August, and we are celebrating at DuckTerritory.com our 10-year anniversary with 24-7 Sports. 24-7 Sports has been around for now 10 years, and because of that, we're offering a 50% off annual subscription. Uh, that savings nets you 15 cents per day on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, that's an insane value. You're not going to see this offer uh, all that often outside of this month um it's a it's a promo that runs the entire month so you have plenty of time to think about it but you can jump in get your coverage for the 2020 football season for an entire year cover the football cover basketball cover the recruiting uh, and everything in between so highly encourage you guys to jump in on that today all right eric uh let's start with question number one all right from a familiar name from the show, at Quack Attack
0: 74 I know it's early, but who are some of Oregon's top targets for the 2022 recruiting class, and which rec- recruits view Oregon as one of their frontrunners? Hashtag odds oh, and audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag. We've done a little bit of discussing 2022 in the past, but I think we've basically focused on uh, the in-state recruiting and how potentially yeah. prolific that could be. Um, we can talk about that a little bit, Matt, but who are some other names aside from some of the guys we spoke about last time from, from the state of Oregon that, that fans should know about heading into 2022?
1: Well, there's, there's a handful of of five-star recruits that Oregon is recruiting. Um, they've been an off again, on again with Malik Murphy, who's a five-star quarterback from Gardena, California. AJ Duffy is almost a five-star. He's probably the quarterback right now. I would say Oregon has the best chance with, um, He's a four-star player. But other five-star recruits that are in the picture for Oregon in 2022, Gavin Soschuk, uh, this is a five-star running back out of Valor Christian High School in Littleton, Colorado. He's the second-best running back in the country. He's been on campus before. Uh, he's, he is uh, – actually, I believe twice he's been on campus for Saturday Night Live and also a football game. Uh, really high target for Oregon. Another five-star running back that Oregon's recruiting – um, it is Raleek Brown from Matterday High School, and, and Duck fans are very familiar with that in Southern California. Uh, there's four five-star recruits that I would say Oregon has a decent chance with. Caleb Burton, uh, Territoria, McMillan, Luther Burden, Kevin Coleman. Uh, those are all five-star receivers that Oregon's recruiting. Uh, and that doesn't even go into a guy like CJ Williams, who's a matter day player or a Tobias Merriweather who's from uh, the Vancouver area, but Camus high school or uh, union high school, excuse me. Uh, and doesn't go into a Darius Clemens and who's an in-state guy. So receiver position, there are a ton. And uh, Oregon has a good chance with a lot of those players that they're recruiting that are highly rated players uh, along the offensive line. You, you want to look at some guys. Josh Connerly is, is one of them, offensive tackle from, from Rainier Beach up in the Seattle, Washington area, a guy that's going to have everybody going after him, very, very serious player for Oregon there. Ernest Green, uh, offensive guard, four-star, top 50 player from St. John Bosco, another school that Duck fans are very familiar with. Uh, Dave Louis, uh from Piala High School in, in Washington that's outside of the Tacoma area. He's another guard that Oregon is recruiting uh, from the state of Washington as well. And then, you know, you you go down to the defensive side of the football. Cyrus Moss, a, a four-star defensive end out of Bishop Gorman, Las Vegas area, uh, very high on Oregon. Um, Wilfred Abar, he's from Connecticut, top 120 player defensive end. He's he's into Oregon uh the number 2 player in the country shamar stewart from florida he's talking about oregon um don't know if it's necessarily a uh oregon's a, a leader there but they're in the picture a little bit um defensive tackle you want to go down to that position anthony lucas uh from scottsdale arizona oregon's done a really good job in that state the last couple of of years and and that's one name t- to watch and um we're going to just keep going down this list to, to linebacker um, there's more than a few that Oregon's looking at right now. I, I would look at uh, Deshaun Misa from Eastside Catholic, Sammamish, Washington area, Seattle area, four-star player that Oregon's offered and uh, is, a, is a player for. And um, outside linebacker positions, that one's a little bit more up in the air of trying to find, you know, a guy that Oregon is is deadlocked in outside of, you know, their commit. And Marianne Winston, who's, you know, top 240 player um cornerback there's there's a good list um you know they were recruiting domini jackson who's the fourth best player in the country but he doesn't have Oregon in his top group um anymore but that was one of you know their early targets and uh more names are are out there for sure but that was one of their big ones and safety uh there's there's going to be quite a bit here as well i I would point to uh zion branch from bishop gorman and also kamari ramsey from sierra canyon high school in, in california Uh, both those schools have been good to Oregon in the past and um, Oregon's been a player there as well and then pure athletes uh, this is always a fun group I think Um, Jaleel Tucker is one I would really look at from Lincoln High School in San Diego Um, Oregon is recruiting him same high school that produced uh, Tyree and and, um, Tyrell Tyrell Robinson Uh, so if 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 you're a big duck fan of recruiting you know those names as well so those are just some of the names and i kind of ran through them really quickly but look oregon football is a hot name right now in the 2021 class and even more so in the 2020 class and the only thing that's going to prevent them in my mind from signing again a top five top 10 class is just how big can this class get that dictates if they have a chance of competing for number one or top five or top 10
0: I was going to be my follow-up question Matt of we talk we hear so much from Cristóbal about continuing to and actually in an interview last week he said a couple of different times elevating the program standard every year from a recruiting perspective you run you ran through those names it does seem like an is totally kicking butt in 2021 fourth nationally right now I think really has a chance probably will be the best class in program history it really feels like 2022 and of course only one verbal commitment right now really early on but just the targets they're in on and the success they're having in 2021, I, I have to think 2022 it could be could be another thing where they do to continue to elevate that standard. Maybe they sign their best class in program history in 2021 and then turn around in 2022 and, and even improve it uh, further the next year. Does that does that something that could ring true to you, Matt? Could you see a scenario where, where this is the best class in program history in 2021 and then they even take it up a notch the next year?
1: Without a doubt. I mean, let's just say football isn't played until um, the fall of, of 2021 due to COVID mm-hmm. Oregon would have two years essentially of being out on the trail saying they're Rose Bowl champion, Pac-12 champion. And, you know, no one else in the conference would have any argument against that. And if Oregon were to, you know, recruits still have to sign. So if recruits in 2021 sign and Oregon lands, at let's say the fifth best class in school history, uh, excuse me, fifth best class in the country, which would be their best class ever, uh, that would only add more ammunition to uh Mario Cristobal's arsenal when they're out on the recruiting trail to pitch to, to players of, of why Oregon's on the up and up. And um, if, if football is played and Oregon continues to play at a high level, I mean, I don't even think they need to win the Rose Bowl or get to the Rose Bowl to continue this, you know, this trend. They just need to continue to show you know their – new highs and new lows you know high lows and what I mean by that is let's just say you know everyone's going to expect a a step back for Oregon football in 2020 because of you know Herbert's departure and and the offensive line departure and Troy Dye's gone and and what have you and and if they're going to have a step back from last season what if it's just they go nine and one and maybe they play in the Fiesta Bowl and they lose that, and they they finish the year nine and two, but they're still a top ten team, top fifteen team. I don't think anyone is going to say the Oregon football program is down because they they were so dominant or they were so good in a year in which they had so many you know pieces having to be replaced. And now all of a sudden, the 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 step back wasn't as bad, and 2021 is coming back with even more attention, more positive mojo going their way. So, yeah, I, I think there is a, a real realistic opportunity for them. Sign the best class in program history in 2020 and then – or 2021 and then do it again in 2022.
0: It's just uh, – it's exciting to think about and it's even more exciting to think about what this looks like once we get football and we see all of these talented players in the field and we just, of course, hope that sooner rather than later. Um, second question from at Altman Fever. It's another familiar name. Better chance of happening. Oregon lands a top three recruiting class or Oregon wins the Pac-12 in football. Um, my knee jerk to this was it was going to be Oregon winning the Pac-12 because I feel very confident now. and I just posted today, I guess yesterday on the site, um, my case for Oregon being undefeated this season and then the case against it. And really, I think there's a very strong case for, for Oregon going undefeated this year in, in, you know, in a 10-game conference-only schedule. Uh, and winning the Pac-12 title. But the caveat there I have is I don't know if we're going to have a completed football season. So I, I, if there is a season that's played, I, I feel pretty good that I would pick Oregon winning the Pac-12 over a top three class I think a top three class is going to be difficult. Um, but I guess my caveat to that would be, I don't know if Matt agrees, is like there's no certainty that there is a finalized season and, it, and maybe no one wins the Pac-12.
1: I I'm just going to operate with the assumption that this is a football season will be played and I'm going to pick Oregon wins the pac 12 just because Agreed. I look at Oregon's commit list and they have 18 verbal commitments as of August 5th and they're fourth in the country. I just wonder how many more guys can they add? And will that be enough to get them to second, third, you know, I, I don't think first is on the table unless a perfect scenario plays out. And we all know recruiting never goes perfectly as planned. You know, Ohio State right now is first with three hundred and five points. Oregon is fourth with two hundred and sixty one. So they're forty four points away, essentially. If I did my math right really quickly. That's a lot to make up when the schools that you're recruiting against, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, all have right around the same number of commits as you do and have a higher up ranking.
0: I don't, top three to me at this point really feels far fetched. Um, and not because I don't think Oregon's going to land its best class or I think it's going to be a lesser class than expected. I think Oregon's going to finish strong just the way yeah,
1: they Yeah, I agree. The
0: way through. I just think you look at the landscape around them. And unfortunately, like uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and maybe LSU, a couple of these schools uh, certainly have the upside to, to compete with Oregon and, and beat Oregon. I, I think this class is probably going to land closer to like fifth or sixth nationally, um, w- which is why I would also pick Oregon winning win the Pac-12. And, and, I, and that's probably right. But let's just assume, let's be optimistic here and then speak it into existence uh, that there is going to be a football season that's completed. So uh, I think we're both on, on board of, yeah, Oregon probably better chance of winning the Pac-12 than finishing top three nationally from a recruiting perspective i think it would take not only everything playing out best case for oregon but it would take a couple of those other programs maybe having uh, a recruiter two that they miss on that right now uh, it doesn't feel that's going to be the case third question from at green underscore mandy with a lot of high school programs moving football from the fall how will that impact recruiting both for the high school player and the colleges and this is a really i think a really important question i know we've discussed this a little bit but you look at the way um, the, the national letter of intense days are set up and you know, the primary intent right now is, is in December. And for a lot of that means for a lot of these players, they're not going to have a chance to complete a senior high school football season. And you think about the impacts and you see it every season of uh, a late bloomer or a guy who was coming off an injury, having to prove that he can play or, or whatnot of, of just of someone playing themselves into a scholarship throughout a senior season and for it's i think it's really devastating for a lot of these young men to be put in the situation and we've seen it starting to happen already where we're where areas where there will no not be high school football where some of these top these top recruits or borderline recruits are, are either electing to you know enroll in school early or are looking to move out of state to states where they are, they are going to play high school football um so obviously a, a ton of impact from a high school player perspective. And I really feel for the kids. This is, this would have been for a lot of them, the biggest, you know, athletic season of their, of their lives. And they ha- they lose that. And not only did they lose that, that could potentially impact their recruitment and what happens from a collegiate perspective down the line. So um, from a high school athlete perspective, it's pretty, it's pretty brutal, I think. Um, and, and you just hope uh, that there are opportunities for them to impress college recruiters, outside of these high school games, which there typically are a lot of these camps, but you also wonder about the validity of of those being conducted uh, at the same rate as in the past either.
1: And the NCAA is going to need to also, I think, really kind of – if a majority of the high schools in the country are pushing their seasons to January or into the spring, um, or if they don't finish and they put it on pause and they'll come back next year and play as in 2021, you know, spring – Um, I really think it might be in the best interest of the colleges and certainly in the best interest of the athletes to maybe push back signing day. Maybe it's a unique deal where signing day happens in March or in April and, and players and coaches have a true opportunity. If, if we allow it, uh, you know, if it's allowable to go out and actual make evaluations to have recruits make visits and, see campus and and whatnot and that's going to be different from state to state because of where you know how far along COVID is but at least open up the idea and explore that a little bit just to see you know what's the best scenario maybe the, the you know the traditional stuff across the board for everything in life right now maybe isn't normal and or isn't possible and we've all had to adjust to making drastic changes and in and, and, and our lives, and this is just another one of those things where, where it's traditionally done in, in December or in February, and maybe it's just best for a one-time period. they push it back a couple of months.
0: I was going to ask you, Matt, how far back would be too late? Um, like if they were to say the new signing period runs through July, so it, maybe it starts in February, but you, you know you've got a lot more time to do this or maybe it does. Maybe you have a third period, you have a February and then you also have another one that starts in June or July. Could it get too far – could it get too late for you, though, in terms of, you know, is that too – I almost like – does that make it too difficult for the college coaches to try to build their rosters, do you think? Or or at this point, do you just think, let's just look out for what's best for the potential student-athlete, and if they're making decisions almost right up until the start of fall camp, that's at least the best case for them in the long term?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think maybe you you do what we we traditionally see in, like, college basketball, where there's, like, a spring date – the majority of the players, um, they give their they give their uh, you know letters of intent in on on the first day, but players have like six to eight weeks actually to send in their letters of intent and make their decisions. Um, I, I think something like that could happen, where maybe the first maybe the first day to to commit is you know the middle of May, May fifteenth, let's just say, and and athletes have all the way up until July first, maybe to you know sign their national letters of intent. Um, and, and, and that would still give the coaches um, ample time to kind of adjust and, and go out there and, and, and scheme and if they need to if they missed on a player or if they you know if they, they landed a guy they weren't really expecting to land, and it's a positive. They can have time to, to prepare for that as well. So I, I think I'm okay. I, I'm good with helping the player, but I think it would also be great if they could come out and say, that, you know, starting on this date, you can do it, and it's going to be later than February.
0: And I guess just one more follow-up and thing that you mentioned is, is the, the fact that right now kids aren't able to visit campuses, and you wonder when that's going to change. Uh, is that going to be available in the fall, official visits? And if not, when is that going to change? And I, I just think I would hate to have a scenario where it's not a huge percentage because a lot of these kids have in, unofficially visited Oregon or other schools, but I would just hate to have a scenario where, let's say, 33 a third of the recruits that sign letters of intent haven't visited the school that they're planning on being at for, for four, three to five years um, before they arrive. I mean, I think that just would be a, a kind of criminal and unfortunate. Um, but again, these are the weird circumstances we have to, to live in right now. And, and you might see a scenario where a lot of these players are being introduced to the campuses literally when they arrive and are enrolling in school. Um, not perfect, but weird, weird times.
1: All right. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm at Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Three questions in. Three more to go. All right. Fourth from at pack
0: underscore surf How do you think the unified conference players are perceived by recruits? Where are you guys hearing about this? Does this, keep, does this help keep the regional blue chip recruits in the conference and, it, and entice other regions to come, or nah, they're going to go SEC Big 12 anyway, or Big 10 anyway? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I think an interesting question um, from Pac Surfrider in terms of trying to read between the lines a little bit here of, of what this could all mean. Uh, Matt, do you look at this and think this could have a huge impact or, or a secondary impact, or, or, or what are you, how are you perceiving um, kind of what's going on around the conference from a recruiting perspective.
1: Well, I certainly think how schools are handling um, the the pandemic and, the, and keeping players' safety is going to be a, a factor. And it, maybe not an immediate factor, but it's going to open up eyes. I mean, for example, today or yesterday, um, Dave Doran, the North Carolina State head coach – uh, according to Josh Graham, radio radio host for the Sports Hub Triad, um, he tweeted out that Dave Thorne, I don't mean this in a way I'm not respecting COVID because there are so many precautions for that, but I'm more worried about heat illness and season-ending injuries than I am about a virus. That in most cases, in our guys' age group, is three to five days. Um, th- that that it, it, that's like a, a comment from a coach that. Literally, just if he didn't say anything, no one would know how dense or tone deaf uh, that sounds. Whether it's said in, in the truest and and most proactive, positive way he intended it to, it just doesn't come across very well. And you know, we, we see uh, like what happened at Washington State with Rolovich. <laughs> um, I I don't necessarily think Rolovich was against the player unity. Um, but at the same time, the way he communicated it and, to his player who joined it was terrible and it just comes off as really bad. And then his follow-up, uh, Rolovich's follow-up press release where he he's claiming his words were being twisted into, uh, you know, not the accurate representation of what he was saying. Uh, that's even worse than, than what he originally said was if he just had come out and said, look, I made a mistake in not communicating clearly. I support my players. I'm sorry. It came across that way. And you know, I I'm working with my players to communicate to them that I support them, what they're doing. It, it would have been a better, you know, it would have been a hundred percent better reply. Um, so I, I think certainly some schools that are coming out with COVID stuff. I mean, Rutgers, they had a huge issue um, with their players, Illinois, uh, they've done some stuff. We had a, a Virginia Tech uh, player come out and opt out saying that, uh, you know, there's schools that, are, that aren't practicing, you know, all the protocols that are necessary. Uh, and so recruits are going to start paying attention to that stuff. And the schools that allow their athletes to voice their opinions, whether it's accurate or not, in ter- or, or, or reasonable or not, um, and we could argue if, if you know Javon Holland is part of those eleven players that have sent some demands to the Pac-12, and and we can argue whether their their demand of fifty percent of the revenue is a fair ask, or, or if it isn't. But the fact that the conference, at least in the Pac-12, has come out and said, "Hey, we're willing to sit down and at a table and and meet with you and talk about this stuff and see where we can go and where we have common ground and where we can make some common ground." that's going to that matters to guys Mm you know and and that's going to be a positive for Oregon it's going to be a positive for the Pac-12 with the commissioner coming out and saying like we we are doing things but you know you want to talk so we'll be willing to meet with you
0: and I I think from if we're making this Oregon-centric which is probably the point of the podcast we should say that the from a player perspective the reviews of what Cristobal has done and we saw this on Sunday following uh, the, the demands being released, uh, a ton of support swelling from Oregon players just saying Ball's handling it the right way, you know, from, from Javon Holland to Anthony Brown through a bunch of other players on social media. Um, and I have to imagine from a recruiting perspective, and we actually even saw an Oregon 2021 recruit, uh, Keith Brown, kind of jump in with, with the hashtag as well and, and saying it's better, it's bigger than ball. So I think from a recruiting perspective, if you're Oregon, it seems like, at least from an optics perspective things are going very you know that are being handled appropriately at least the players are saying that and um, it's I don't know if it's going to make or break a recruitment but if there is maybe a recruits family who has concerns about how COVID and and just in general how their players are being taken care of at a school um, you would think Cristobal's track record around this would, would certainly at least be beneficial um, in terms of easing maybe a family concern in, in a living room during a recruiting visit when those kind of get back to normal. So um, I think interesting questions. And, and again, it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly. And I don't know if we're ever going to have a recruit come out and say, I didn't go to school X because their handling of COVID wasn't effective or not. But I also think deep down, it, it will be something that at least has to be taken under consideration. Cause I don't know if you, now, let's put it this way. I think if you're a recruit and you're, and you're taking a hard look at Washington State right now, um, unfortunately, you're probably having to, to make some tough decisions there, and, and, you know, and, and that's for, for an Oregon perspective, fortunately. It uh, doesn't seem like they're in that perspective at all. Um, next question transitions kind of nicely into that, so let's just go there um, from at duck underscore demon. How will coach Cristobal and staff thread the needle between supporting players who who join the We Are United group and maintaining discipline on the team, including making decisions on the depth chart, et cetera. Presumably they want to avoid a Nick Rolovich approach. Hashtag odds uh, and audibles. I think everybody wants to avoid the Nick Rolovich approach at this point because um, he's sitting with a lot of egg on his face. Um, and I said a second ago, the, the, so far the feedback we see, at least on a social media from Oregon players, has been very positive towards how crystal ball has handled it. We even commented last week um, during his interview uh, on, on uh, Fox's outkick or I can't can't, can't remember the name. Is it Saturday noon kickoff? I think it is. Yes. We even heard him, I think go in pretty impressive detail about the parameters that are in place and things that are in place to keep everybody safe. Um, So personally I feel like things are being handled pretty well internally um, Matt, do you have anything you've been hearing that you you want to share on this, and, and kind of what's your perspective on how Cristobal has been handling everything?
1: Yeah, I've been I've been talking to some players um, off the record, and um, I've been talking to some parents, you know, getting some background information, um, and yeah, no one wanted to really go on the record because they didn't quite feel comfortable uh, speaking with. On the record because they weren't sure if they were authorized to talk about it or not, so everything's That's kind right. of off.
0: Totally understandable. Totally understandable, by the way.
1: Everything is all you know sources, um, but I've talked to multiple players, multiple parents, and it echoes exactly what has come from the players and what they've gone out and tweeted, and you know, the tw- you know, Oregon specifically um, is is one in which they're continuing to test consistently um, so they don't make sure they, they contract the virus. Uh, You know, we've heard that, you know, they've modified some things uh, in terms of training to adhere to social distancing rules. And I've heard from parents that they've heard from, you know, other parents of players that they know that are in other conferences that aren't doing that. Um, They're continuously reminding players to sanitize and wear their masks. Cristobal mentioned that, how they have, you know, Three to you know five athletes per person to monitor social distancing and wearing masks, and that's something that parents have have told me really you know has been real positive. Is you know it, it's very strict, um, and one thing that I've I've heard from player and co and parent is that you know the communication at Oregon is extremely good. Um, as soon as Oregon is notified of something uh, that it's covid related uh they quickly get in touch with the parents and let the parents know and let the athletes know and so as as soon as organ administration and officials they learn you know some new protocol or or, you know something new with how to combat this and how to socially distance the the correct way or how they're going to you know operate what have you the plant the parents and players are being notified and that's something that um has resonated really well within the player and the, and the players' families because they feel like, you know, no one really knows 100% how to combat this, and everyone's learning on the fly. And they know that Oregon, you know, can't guarantee 100% safety, but they're taking every precaution to get to as close to 100% uh, as, as possible. And at some places, it's sounding like that necessarily isn't going on. And that's what's really positive from, from an Oregon perspective.
0: Really good stuff from Matt there. And I'm sure you'll have more reporting on those conversations on the site going forward. Let's wrap it up here with our last question. And this is going to be a deviation here. We're going to be talking about the football team in the fall, which is a little different than we've talked about above, from at Chadwick227. Despite Johnny Johnson third's big improvement last year, the wide receiver core seems to be the team's weakest link, especially with separation example above average defenses like auburn wisconsin cal and even stanford all got away with single coverage how might wide receiver fare this year hashtag Ots and audibles let's start with the first point here just really quick matt do you, do you agree that wide receiver was the team's weakest link last year oh boy i mean if it was if it was it wasn't so much that i like came away being like boy they were terrible I mean, you yeah. probably make an argument, but it's not, like, significant, right?
1: I think, I think once Breland went down yeah. with McCormick being hurt at the beginning of the year and then never coming back, I think at the end of the year, once Breland got hurt, that was the, the weakest link because it never really felt like there was a consistent big-time player at that position. Um, I, I think the production that Giant Johnson gave Oregon is highly underrated and underappreciated um, he's the top returning receiver in the pac 12 this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that says something. I mean, he had a good year and I think if Juwan Johnson also wasn't hurt, our impressions of Oregon football and same with Micah Pittman um, would drastically be different because they were playing basically with two other top four receivers out for half the year, if not more. And that's hard to overcome when you have a a young unit with little experience. So, I, I would I would probably agree it was the weakest link. But I would be with you in that I never really walked away thinking they were just god awful.
0: There was a huge difference from 2018 when it was either Dylan Mitchell was going to be thrown to and catch the pass or it wasn't going to be caught, <laughs> right? right? And that was I mean I mean not to be too critical, but that was. That's unfair to a couple of the guys, but that's really what it was in 2018. And then Mitchell graduates and remember, or goes pro, and there was a lot of like, "Holy crap, what's Oregon going to do at wide receiver?" And they landed, you know, they added Pittman, they added Johnson, uh, Johnny Johnson, of course, elevates his game. Um, and yeah, I think last year was very was a significant improvement from 2018. I don't think anyone would would dis, uh, would disagree with that. Now, the question in 2020 is about this team getting better and how they're going to fare, and, and I'm really pretty optimistic. I, I do not expect this to be the weakest link offensively. Um, in fact, I think I would argue, aside from probably running back, just because they bring back Verdell and, and all the, and, you know, and, and CJ comes back, Travis comes back, and uh, Cyrus comes back. You got your three top running backs back. I think wide receiver could be a strength offensively, really. Um, and I get the point with separation last year. There were times where it was difficult, that game against Auburn in particular. Once they realized that, aside from Johnny Johnson, no one was going to create any on his own, they basically uh, shut everything down there yeah, with, with single coverage. But I, I think this is going to be significantly better. And, and for the reasons that you kind of noted a second ago, like we haven't seen a, a full season of Micah Pittman healthy. And I still think if he would have been healthy last year, the season would have gone a little different from, at least from a production receiver perspective. Cause if he starts that season healthy, I think he finishes near the top of the team in a lot of stats, but he had to work his way into shape midway through the season, got hurt and had to work his way back into shape to play in the bowl game. So we never got to see all of him. And I think Devin Williams is another player. I mean, like, I think you could argue the two most talented receivers on this team basically didn't play at full strength last season. Um, and they're going to be back this year. I think they're going to be better. And then you throw in, the two main guys that return and Johnny Johnson and Jalen red. And you've got a really nice group of four wide receivers there that should be significantly better than what they had last year. And then a, a completely different stratosphere from what we saw in 2018. So I don't know if I'm being hyperbolic here thinking this is going to be one of the team's strengths, but I'm certainly encouraged by what we saw in the spring um, and certainly encouraged by what everybody who, who all is coming back at the position group. It,
1: what is, is the? Do you feel like the confidence in, in- you think this group could break out? Is it because of the depth or is it simply just because two of the four best receivers on the team are going to be healthy or eligible? Is that the, is it, is it, or is it both? It's
0: probably the, it's probably more just that I think Williams and Pittman are going to be really good. And I think those players are players who Oregon really didn't have last season. And I think they're going to be game changers. And, and I think for as good as Juwan Johnson was last year and he was really big down the stretch of the season you know don't forget about what he did against washington state even in the rose bowl to, to click to kind of you know clinch that one but i i think they can absolutely make up for his loss and i think those two players in particular i think already w- basically on their own do that and, and then you've got another year of johnny johnson improving and man the way he took his game to another level last year i, I think he could take it maybe i don't know how much further he how much better he can get but i, I don't think you can discount how hard he works either so um and the depth part is a is a fair part, Matt. I mean, I, I think there's certainly question. I haven't brought up
1: Jalen Red yet. I mean,
0: uh, yeah, a little yeah, uh, a little bit earlier, but yeah, and Jalen's a guy who who was fantastic last year in the slot and and you know had the same number of touchdown receptions despite being five foot eight um, as Johnny Johnson did, who who led the team. So uh, yeah, no, and, and and then there's other depth components too. I'm still excited to see the debuts of guys like you know, well, Lance Wilhoyt in particular is a guy I was really excited to see last year along with J.R. Waters, and both those guys were dinged up last year. And now we get a chance to see if if one of those two guys can be, you know, can kind of complement these other receivers. So I think there's a lot of room, reason for optimism there, Chadwick. Uh, You know, I don't expect you're going to have multiple 1,000-yard receiving seasons. And in fact, that's going to be, the stats, by the way, are going to be weird this year because you're only playing 10 regular season games. And who knows what leading what a what a you know a fantastic wide receiving season is going to be? Is that going to be like an eight hundred yard season, maybe? But I think there's going to be really good production from that group, and and I think it's important because you're breaking in a new quarterback, and I think the situation that Tyler Shock or Anthony Brown, or whoever it is enters into will be a favorable one at receiver.
1: Does the quarterback breaking in a new quarterback change your your mind at all about this? I mean, to, to think the group's pretty strong, I would I would assume then you're not worried at all about the quarterback transition?
0: I'm not, not at all worried about it because I do think ultimately – like if you, you get Tyler Shuck, let's say – I'm just going to say it because I've been saying it, and even Chris Ball said he leads for the job. So it's pretty – let's say it's Tyler Shuck. We'll just use that hypothetically. His first couple of games, he still hasn't done any of the – you know what I mean? He still hasn't been a starting quarterback at this level. And like despite being really talented and I think having really pretty good, darn good receivers around him, like I've been saying – I still think there's going to be, like, some growing pains, also a new offense. Um, But the fortunate thing, I think, from an Oregon perspective is you now look at the schedule. In Colorado and Washington State, two of the worst defenses in the conference. You open up there. Arizona State's defense wasn't that great last year. They beat Oregon, but that was largely just because Jaden Daniels threw for, like, what, 400 yards and four touchdowns. Um, And then even Oregon State, those are the first four teams they play before the bye week defensively. I don't think you're going to pose humongous challenges at a quarterback like Tyler Shuck, but I still think you have to be wary because he's never been a starter before.
1: All right. Good stuff there on the quarterback and receiver positions and where things are going at that one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast as much as Eric and I did recording it. Um, tons of good questions. Keep sending those in. If you want to help uh, DuckTerritory.com. you can give us a review. It's free to do just, Go to the iTunes page or wherever you listen to us on your podcasting app and give us a review. Uh, Those help tremendously. If you want to go above and beyond, you could even sign up for a 50% off annual membership. That comes out to being less than $0.15 per day that you would spend on DuckTerritory.com. I think that's highly worth it. Uh, So a couple ways that you could help us out. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Preem, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast.
0: Talk to you later, folks.